Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. So as I mentioned, uh, we are in the Gospel of John. So if you don't have a Bible, um, please raise your hand and we can get some Bibles to you. John's Gospel is the fourth book in the New Testament um, and where we will be spending the next six weeks, where we were last week, where we are today. But before we dive into the text, we will be in John chapter 4. This is the second miraculous sign recorded by John, and it's the healing of a government official's son in Cana. And if you remember last week, Kevin started us in Cana. Now, Jesus goes some other places, and I'll touch on that contextually here shortly. But the second miracle and the first miracle both take place in the same town. And what's interesting is these seven miracles take place in the first half of John's gospel, which take place in roughly a three-year period. And then the second half of John's gospel covers one week from what we know as Palm Sunday to Easter and that holy week. So the first half, seven miracles over the period of three years. It's Jesus's ministry. Second half of John's gospel blows through one week. And as we dive in, just a little bit of contextual history on Cana, it comes from the Hebrew word meaning reeds and is known primarily from references in John's gospel. And as I mentioned, are the, where the first two miracles recorded by John take, take place. It's also the hometown of Nathaniel, one of Jesus's disciples, which we see in that in-between part between the first miracle and the second miracle. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus also refers to Cana, describing it as a military headquarters. Um, And in that military headquarters that stages the ground during the time that first century Jews were preparing for war against the Romans, and that sets the stage for where we are and why a government official would be in this town to come to Jesus. The exact location of Cana in ancient Galilee still remains uncertain. So there's a little bit of uncertainty as to exact location. So um, don't uh, beat yourself up if you look at a map and can't figure out where it actually is. But between these two miracles, between Jesus' two visits to Cana, the Jewish Passover festival occurs. And the most notable stories in this gap... There are three. The first is Jesus chasing out the cheating vendors from the temple courts. Jesus was big mad. Like, go back and read that story. It's one of my favorite stories that I could talk about for hours. But these folks were selling animals for sacrifice. And Jesus was upset that folks would come into the house of the Lord and sell these animals for sacrifice just to have personal gain. So that's Story one, big story number two, number one. Big story number two, Nicodemus, a Pharisee of Pharisees, shamefully coming to Jesus in the shadows of the night. 
and having this dialogue of what it means to be born again and being confused as to what that means. That's big story number two in between miracle one and two. And the third one, which is right before our text in John 4, is his interaction with the Samaritan woman, which leads us into today's passage. And I will just keep it there because we will dive into that. But this morning, we will look at miracles and faith. And I want us to start off with prayer before we dig into the passage. God, thank you for miracles. Thank you for faith. Thank you for having the faith to believe even when we can't see what you are doing here in this community, both at Life in Deep Ellum in the gathering and Deep Ellum, our larger community, and outside of Life in Deep Ellum and Deep Ellum, but the broader city of Dallas. God, we thank you and we love you and we just ask that you would speak to us and speak through me in your precious name, amen. So John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, and I'm reading through the voice translation. And the, the, the voice translation was taken from a collective of artists and musicians and creatives. And they took the original uh, language and the original text, and they also fill in the gaps in italics of just the inference and the context um, that we so often miss. And um, I just wanted to read from this passage uh, in this particular translation this morning. As Jesus traveled to Cana, the village in Galilee, where he transformed the water into fine wine, he was met by a government official. This man had heard a rumor that Jesus had left Judea and was heading to Galilee. And he came in desperation, begging for Jesus' help because his young son was near death. He was fearful that unless Jesus would go with him to Capernaum, his son would have no hope. Jesus said to the official, my word is not enough. You only believe when you see miraculous signs. The official responded, sir, this is my son. Please come with me before he dies. Jesus, interrupting him, says, Go home, your son will live. When he heard the voice of Jesus, faith took hold of him and he turned to go home. But before he reached his village, his servants met him on the road celebrating his son's miraculous recovery. The official asked, what time did this happen? The servants responded, yesterday about one o'clock in the afternoon. At that moment, it dawned on the father the exact time that Jesus spoke the words, he will live. After that, he believed. And when he told his family about his amazing encounter with this Jesus, they believed too. This was the second sign Jesus performed when he came back to Galilee from Judea. So right off the gate, out the gate, or off the gate, The government official, or in other translations, known as the nobleman. So we've already painted this picture of where we are contextually in Cana. It's a military town. This nobleman is believed to have been an officer of the state 
directly in the service of Herod. Now, he was even supposed to have been thought of as Herod's steward. So very close to Herod. And this officer came to Jesus at Cana and sought him out to go down to Capernaum and heal his son. Who, as we can surmise from what we know in this text, was at the point of death. And Jesus sent him away with an assurance that his son was alive. And what's interesting enough about this meeting between the government official and Jesus too, is he approaches Jesus. In some translations, it says because of rumors that he had heard of what Jesus had done. And so Jesus comes into this town the government official who wants his son to live, who had heard of Jesus, wonders what Jesus can do for his son, knowing that he can do something, but doesn't necessarily look, know what that looks like at this point. But he had definitely seen and heard the story of what Jesus had done. Which is interesting when we see in verse 48... In the voice translation, the words are, you only believe when you see miraculous signs. So even though this government official comes up to Jesus and says, heal my son, because he had heard a story about Jesus, Jesus replies because of the government official saying, come with me and heal him. Because Jesus, you see, had just spent time with the Samaritans, the social outcasts of Jesus's day, who believed in Jesus from the story that the Samaritan woman told her friends. They didn't have to see some grandiose sign to believe in Jesus. So this is the context that Jesus has just come from of spending time with the social outcast who believed in him off of someone's story of their interaction with Jesus. And now he's in a town where someone says, I have to see it with my own eyes. And from our inference in this text, Jesus is upset with that. Expect it just at that expectation of having to see a miracle rather than believing that that miracle would happen. Just from that voice of Jesus's authority in his words. And I do want to pause there and take us back and read that passage just, just immediately before our text. Not the whole story of the Samaritan woman, but Jesus meets the Samaritan woman and has this interaction with, with her that I highly recommend that you read in your own time in John 4. But in verse 39, after this interaction, it says, Meanwhile, because one woman shared with her neighbors how Jesus exposed her past and present, the village was transformed. Many Samaritans heard and believed. The Samaritans approached Jesus and repeatedly invited him to stay with them. So he lingered there for two days on their account. And with the words that came from his mouth, with the words, not the sights, not these grandiose miracles, but with the words that came from his mouth, there were many more believing Samaritans. They began their faith journey because of the testimony of the woman beside the well. 
But when they heard for themselves, they were convinced the one they were hearing was and is God's anointed, the liberating king sent to rescue the entire world. And this is the immediate context that Jesus came from. So you can imagine his frustration when this government official says, come with me, I need to see it. Because Jesus was just with people that maybe this government official also saw as society's outcast. Say, I need to see it. Versus where he had just come from of these people believing just from the story, just like the last song we sang today. From the story this woman told. And you sense the urgency in this man's voice in verse 49 when he says, come with me before he dies. And then hearing Jesus' words, faith did take a hold of him. And that's where we find ourselves when we look at this passage that biblically miracles preceded faith. And however, today, as a society, this isn't life in Deep Ellum specific, but as a society, maybe we lack the faith to believe that miracles still happen. Or, put another way, maybe we are so focused on other things that we are missing the miracles that are happening right before our eyes. And so I do want to quickly look at miracles and faith in the broader context of Scripture. But I know myself nerding out on uh, theology, so I will not bore you with that. If you want to go deeper, I have all the notes. We can have all the conversation afterwards. But I will just give you the Reader's Digest condensed version because this is not a seminary lecture and I'm not going to make it that. But I think it is important to touch on a few things. And so the word miracle in scripture is an event that defies common expectations of behavior and subsequently is attributed to a superhuman agent. Also, a miracle is an occurrence that demonstrates God's involvement in the course of human affairs. So that's our definition of what a miracle is. And whether you, if you look at, at miracles in the Hebrew Bible, that is what we know as part of our Old Testament, miracles within the Old Testament designate a certain extraordinary phenomena. These were these great grandiose signs and wonders demonstrating divine power. And forms of miracles in the Old Testament included celestial events in the book of Joshua. Instantaneous healings, as we see in 2 Kings. The control of nature, as we see in the Exodus story. And this one freaks me out. Objects and animals acting in unexpected ways. And then miracles in the New Testament occupy this central place within narrative texts, mostly seen in the Gospels and Acts, and in, ap in apocalyptic texts, such as Revelation in Mark chapter 13. 
And these miracles in the New Testament often occur through human intermediaries who we know as the most significant intermediary in the New Testament being Jesus, who performs these miracles of healing, provision of food, and control of nature. And so, also, the function of biblical miracles in general can be defined as several categories, such as instrumental Such as, for example, the heavenly manna that was provided to the folks fleeing Egypt to serve, to provide nourishment. Because if you recall from the story of God's people fleeing, they didn't know what they were going to eat. They were going to the desert. But the miracle and the, the wonder the instrumental miracle of provision of food. To glaze over the other categories, communicative miracles, punitive miracles, socio-political miracles, such as when God confirms that Elijah is the superior prophet by sending fire from the sky to consume a water-soaked offering. Tell me that that's not a miracle. But that was to communicate to the people that this was the person that God had called, even though they were not believing it. They weren't listening to God. And then we have theological miracles. That could be a validation of God, or a validation of God's message, or a signal of God's activity, or a divine act of salvation. And that, as I promised, is the reader's condensed version of miracles throughout the context of Scripture. But what is faith other than that wonderful George Michael song? In scripture, faith is the reliance upon and trust in God, which is the central emphasis and bedrock of the Christian faith. Christianity is largely characterized by its emphasis on faith and belief. Christians are commonly also called believers as such. And a commitment to Christianity typically involves a confession of faith. The centrality of faith in Christianity reflects the biblical significance of faith. And at times, this emphasis on faith has unfortunately degenerated into a checklist of beliefs that disregard a person's life and experiences, and practices. However, the biblical concept of faith is not meant to boil Christianity down to this set of religious ideas. And that's where we find ourselves, broadly speaking, within a cultural tension, especially being within a community like Deep Ellum, within a city like Dallas, which is also known as the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And that's where we find this tension. And there are three main dimensions of faith. Faith as commitment, faith as spiritual perception, and faith as the living expression of Christian hope that we cannot see. Hence the word hope. 
the Gospel of John uniquely emphasizes this language of believing as evidenced by this pervasiveness of the term believing and the absence of the noun faith throughout John's Gospel. John has a Christ-centered agency motif in which trust in God demonstrates itself in the belief in Jesus. Again, if you would like to dig deeper into miracles and faith in Scripture, I would love to have that conversation. But as I was studying this week, there was one particular quote that stood out. Elie Wiesel said, I have not lost faith in God. I have moments of anger and protest. Sometimes I've been closer to him for that reason. And the reason why this stuck out when I was praying through and thinking through how do you contextualize this passage to life in Deep Ellum? And it resonated with me that having faith doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. Being angry at God for the circumstance or circumstances that you are facing, questioning God, maybe even having a screw you God moment, that's the PG version, that can make your faith stronger if you let it. If you let it. That's our story broadly. That's my story. I've had those moments. I will continue to have those moments. We will continue to have those moments. And another quote that stuck out as I was thinking through this and not really knowing how to land this plane was C.S. Lewis's words in the collected letters of C.S. Lewis. When he says, those who assume that miracles cannot happen are merely wasting their time by looking into the texts. We know in advance what results they will find for they have begun by begging the question. And that's where we find ourselves with this government official. He's asking Jesus the question. He was assuming a miracle could not happen or he was, who knows? He was asking that question. He knew that Jesus could do something. He just didn't know what. In fact, I will be bold enough to say he was assuming that that miracle could not happen because he had not yet encountered the miracle working power of Jesus. And that's where we find ourselves still collectively, not just here as a society. That's not to say just because we believe in a miracle, getting that job, healing our loved one, whatever it may be, it doesn't mean that it will happen. Rather, experiencing the miracle working power of Jesus aligns us to the thought and the belief that things can and do happen that might shock us. Things that we cannot yet see, but that's faith. Believing in a God we cannot see is faith. 
a miracle. Believing God will lead our pastoral search team to call the right fit for our community is faith. It's a miracle. You see, because miracles and faith are the same, two sides of the same coin. And throughout scripture, we see the former precede the latter, but we often today lack the faith to believe that miracles still happen because we are looking for grandiose signs. In 2020, when I lost my job, like many people did in the pandemic, I was looking for this grandiose sign and I was missing the fact that I had shelter over my head and food on my table because I was working three jobs. And that wasn't exactly how I thought I was going to be able to provide those things or have those things provided for me. And that's not to dismiss and say that our our neighbors experiencing homelessness don't experience miracles because I have had conversations with people in our backyard and our community over the years who see the million little miracles of everyday life better than I do. And they don't have consistent food on their table or shelter over their heads. And they see the miracles of daily life better than me because I am so blinded by that privilege that I do have to have consistent food and shelter. And that is because we miss these million little miracles taking place in our lives on a daily basis because we lack the faith to believe that miracles still happen today. So what does this story tell us of faith today? Ask yourself as you go out of life in Deep Ellum into the community or back home, sit with these questions. What do I have difficulty believing? What do I have difficulty believing in my personal life and within my faith community? What do we, life in Debellum, have difficulty believing? And what would happen if we have the audacity to believe before we see? Lord Jesus, help our disbelief. May our faith increase. May we decrease to trust you at your word and to pay attention to the million little miracles in our daily life. God, we love you. We thank you and give us that audacity to believe and then to go tell that story to those we interact with of those million little miracles that you give to us daily. In your name we pray. Amen.